Today, we'll go to Kentucky to meet Lucy, a culinary education substitute teacher, and Joseph, who served as a combat medic in Afghanistan and now works in a hospital emergency room. After separating and divorcing, they moved back in together and, as they put it, really click. The parents' both literal and philosophical question, we're going to the same place, can we get there in the same car? We'll also learn two new untranslatable modern Korean words, one for a highly desirable character trait and one for a modern parental handicap. Now let's meet Lucy and Joseph. First, a disclaimer. What you are about to listen to is not a professional counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation, and the advice I offer does not constitute psychological treatment or serve as a substitute for professional diagnosis, intervention, or behavioral health care. In order to protect their privacy, our guests have been given pseudonyms and some personal details have been changed. If you have concerns about your child's well-being or your own, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. Good places to start? Your child's pediatrician, the counseling staff at your child's school, and the American Psychological Association's Comprehensive Guide to Finding Resources in Your State. And now, on to the fun. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning, Joseph. You have a son named Owen, who is nine, and a daughter named Kate, who is six. And Lucy, you are a substitute teacher. Tell us what grade you teach and how it goes for you when you do the teaching. Sure. Well, I've been doing all grades. So I started with elementary school, and I was in the school that my kids go to. But I recently was moved to the high school because the culinary teacher passed away. And because I have experience owning a bakery and having a cafe, they thought it would be great for me to come in and just cook with the kids because they've been learning on computers since Thanksgiving break. And it's not very fun to learn how to cook on a computer from what I've been told. (laughs) So you are teaching culinary arts in person to high school students? Yes. Wow. This is like the home ec classes of my childhood. And I'm so happy to hear that there in Kentucky, in your school district, this is happening again. Do you have to lure them into it? Are they excited by the opportunity? So I think in the beginning, they were a little apprehensive because they've been working with the other family and consumer science teacher. And then I said, well, hey, guys, I'm here to just be the adult in the room. I'm not trying to replace your teacher. She actually started a bistro program with the students. So they were serving meals once a week to the community. And she'd had some of these students over the course of their four years of high school. So I came in and I, being a counselor too, I was able to kind of handle the grief 
part of things with them. So I <sighs> acknowledged that they had had a big loss and that I was not trying to replace their beloved teacher. I just wanted to simply get them in the kitchen having fun again. Okay. Joseph. Yes. You are a surgical technician. I would like to hear, Joseph, from you, what is required to be a surgical technician? Well, a lot of attention to detail. I've actually recently switched from surgery into the emergency department, which my skills transferred greatly. Because of being a combat medic in Afghanistan and the skills that I have to be able to literally save people as I need to, to be able to have a patient come in and say, this hurts or that hurts, this is what's been causing it or this is what's been relieving it, and then putting the puzzle together to say whether, well, you have something going on in your stomach or you have something going on with this organ, you know, being able to go in and and get the labs and stuff drawn, being able to get the x-rays and stuff done and slowly put the puzzle together. So it sounds like what you need to do to be successful in your job is go from the very precise details to the larger picture. And Lucy, for you, it starts with the global. You look at this classroom, and the way you put it is be the grown-up in the room, and then it moves down to the cupcakes. The reason I asked you both about your work is that so many of us function really well at work, and then we come home and we're kind of baffled, overwhelmed. We feel it's above our pay grade because there's no pay at all. Tell me, your son Owen is nine. Mm -hmm. Tell me what tickles, delights, and encourages you most about him. You start, Lucy. Okay. Since he was born... He is who he is. There is no coaxing, coercing. He has decided that he believes in the Greek gods. Okay, so I just want to stop you right there. <laughs> yeah. Because I've never heard that before. And it's it's really profound and provocative. So he learned about the Greek gods in school, yes? On his own. On his own, even better. Yes. He told me the other day his religion is in vengeance. So okay. he likes that they have ultimate control, I assume. It's very interesting. And he got into a fight at school because we live in a predominantly Christian area, and he said he didn't believe in God. So vengeance and ultimate control. The nine-year-old boy on the planet doesn't have a whole lot of ultimate control. And what he's saying is, I am inspired by these mortals or these people who were at one time mortal who have such grandeur and glory and have existed through the ages. Is there any particular God that is his iconic guide? Poseidon is his Poseidon. Mm -hmm. Okay, and why Poseidon? Joseph, do you have any insight? One, he doesn't like water. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So he doesn't like water. He doesn't like to swim or he doesn't like to bathe. Bathe. <laughs> yeah. The nine-year-old boy. Yeah. By controlling the water, he doesn't have to be absorbed in the water. And that's one uh, of the reasons why he likes Poseidon is that if he can control it, then he doesn't really have to be around it. 
And he's amazingly astute to the Greek gods. He also knows that Poseidon controls horses, and he likes horses. The thing that he focused on most was the fact that Poseidon has a trident. Even when it rains, he'll say, he's like, well, Zeus is making the lightning, but Poseidon's the one making it rain, and the rain is what helps us the most. So does he have a friend in school, in the neighborhood, a cousin, a friend at church? Any other boy or girl who shares his deep, profound sense of the power of myth and history and magic? He does not. He would call himself a loner. He feels special within himself that he calls himself a genius. The kids in his class just don't understand him. I have a best friend who he has made friends with her son who's the Mm -hmm. same age, and they're in the same class. But I don't know that they're into the same things. Yeah, they're almost polar opposites. The best friend's son, uh, he is more athletic. He likes sportsmanship, where Owen doesn't like competition. Like Especially between his mother and I, we played sports all through high school and after, and he does not relish in competition whatsoever. He would rather be by himself and do his own thing And be proud of that. He's never by himself because he's got Poseidon. He's got Zeus. Oh, yeah. And my favorite detail that you described so far is he doesn't like the water. And so Poseidon and his trident are with him to control whether the water overwhelms him or stays at bay. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Kate, because I have a sense that she's quite different than her brother. She very much is. I don't know if you put much into astrological signs, but she's a Scorpio and she is a little Sour Patch kid. She's very sweet, but she will also bite. (laughs) I think she takes more after me in that she picks up on a lot of emotional cues and loves animals, is very empathetic with animals. We have a whole menagerie. I'm sitting right below her little stuffed animal thing. Very attuned to people's emotions, expressions. I hear a lot more from her about what goes on at school and in relationships and how people are feeling and acting and what they're saying. And she's reporting because she's captivated by it and it's the tale of the day? Or is she unloading distress to you? What's the tone of it? A little of both. Yesterday, she came home and was aggravated. I let her cool down. And then she went on to tell me that two girls at school were aggravating her. And that's why she was upset. Is that the word she used? (laughs) Annoying, maybe, is what she said. Annoying, yes. Yeah. Yeah. One useful approach to children's emotions is to help them develop a vocabulary for feelings. They start out with just sort of mad, sad, or glad, or, yep, that's about it. And as they get older, you can help them broaden understanding the nuance of different kinds of feelings and just affirming what their experience is without trying to fix it in any way is soothing to them Mm -hmm. because they feel understood. And everybody is so busy. You both have very absorbing jobs and important jobs. And coming home, we can kind of run out of fuel. 
it's a little emotional jewel or a pearl that you can give to children, which is listening long enough, reading their facial expression, looking at their posture. You don't need the whole backstory of what happened at school. That can get kind of long and boring. Mm -hmm. And then they turn into the attorney trying to present their whole deposition and their whole case. But to read what their experience is internally. And there are certain clues you can ask them for. Uh, if they're upset, do you feel it in your tummy? Or are your thoughts moving fast? Just to be an armchair traveler or a, <laughs> a fellow voyager in the land of emotions. And I know that Owen reads. Owen's a reader. Does Kate read as well? She does, yes. She's actually in an advanced class in kindergarten because she's on a first grade reading level. So she has taken to that just really well. I don't know that she's reading so much on her own, but she likes to be read to and she likes stories. So reading to children is a wonderful portal to this emotional language because the key here is not starting bedtime too late, not having a device in the room, parents, and being able to jump away from the story and just look at your child and say, hmm, what do you think's going to happen next? I'm not sure. Do you think this character might do this or that? Then you are traveling with them in their unconscious. This is also true about children's dreams. If they tell you they had mm. a nightmare or a bad dream, you're very interested without trying to make it all better or remind them that it's not true. You can say, and then what happened? Whoa, what did you do then? And how did you feel? Then when they have strong feelings at school, or for Owen, if he's suddenly feeling friendless or Kate's feeling aggravated or annoyed by what the girls in school did, they have you sitting on their shoulder, quite compassionate without pity and respectful of the range of their feelings. And they're not thinking, oh, mom, what do I do now? It becomes automatic. Nurture versus nurture will be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. When I was a girl, adult women wore girdles and bras with underwires. These garments were confining and uncomfortable and plain cruel in hot weather. Then came a technological revolution in athletic wear, lingerie, and flattering but comfortable clothing. The latest iteration I've been introduced to is Honey Love. They make super comfortable, breathable, sweat-wicking stuff. Bras, all kinds of shapewear, tank tops and leggings, sleep and loungewear. They don't use underwires. They do use 100% cotton gussets, so you only have to wear one layer. They focus on easy on and easy off, no struggle. I've enjoyed what they've sent to me, and so have the people I've given Honey Love items to. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners. Get 20% off your first entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash nurture. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com slash nurture. Treat yourself to high quality, high comfort, good looking modern stuff for women. You'll be glad. 
There's what kids want to eat and what we want them to eat. And much of our food, even organic and sustainably sourced, doesn't provide the depth of nutrients it did in the past. Plus, lots of kids are picky eaters. Hmm, a vitamin to fill in the nutritional gaps. But which one to choose? Not one sweetened with sugar and pumped up using artificial colors and gummy additives. Not one based on nutritional guidelines from the 1980s. Enter Haya, a chewable children's daily multivitamin made with organic fruits and vegetables, plus vegetable fatty acids, turmeric, beetroot, more good stuff that's all non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. You get a cool bottle with stickers that your child can use to decorate with your first order, and then they send you eco-friendly box refills every month. We've worked out a special arrangement with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to Haya Health slash Nurture. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash Nurture and get your kids a bounty of nourishment every day. I'd like to turn to your relationship with each other because you have not a typical story. So tell me a little bit of the history Let's start with how you met. How long ago did you meet and what were the circumstances? You want to go first? (laughs) I feel like I've talked so much. Lucy was still in high school and she actually uh, dated one of my friends. Lucky friend. Yeah. And he made some bad choices, so they broke up. And then it just happened. I was at Walmart one day and she was there. And after I talked to her, it's like, oh, hey, how you doing? All that. She looked at me and she said, what are you doing tonight? I was like, uh, nothing. That's that's so great. Wait, how old were you then, both of you? I was 16 and you were 20? Yeah, I turned 20 like a week later or something. Okay. And so, yeah, she asked me out on a date and we uh, ended up going to watch a movie, get something to eat. What movie was it? Do you recall? Yes. 50 First Dates. Oh, perfect. (laughs) But the kicker of that is we saw the ex-boyfriend's mom with her church group at the Mexican restaurant while we were eating dinner together that night. Oh, and she was so (laughs) interested in that fact. Oh, yeah. Who is Joseph there with? Oh, that's Lucy. Okay, church group. Let's talk that over. And I went to the same church they did, too. So I knew everybody that was at the table. So that was pretty funny, too. And then the relationship continued through high school, Lucy? Yes. I think we broke up maybe when I went to college for a year or two, and that's when Joseph joined the Army. Mm -hmm. I had heard through, I think, maybe my parents that, oh, did you know he was in the Army? And I was like, no. (laughs) What was that expression you just made? What did it mean? (sighs) That was not the path I would have assumed he would take. Mm. Okay. Yes. I was shocked. (laughs) You were shocked because he didn't seem like a military man? Not at all. He seemed like a what instead? He was just a fun, goofy guy who, I I mean, he can tell you more about his experience in getting into the military, but they would not have even accepted him with the physical. 
I was a big guy. I, yeah, I don't know how to say it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> what she's trying to say is that I like to eat quite a bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when I got out of high school, I stopped playing a lot of sports. So I just gained a lot of weight. I didn't do a whole lot of physical activity outside of work. So I actually had to lose, I think it was like close to 30 some pounds just to join the military. Mm-hmm. The reason why I went is one, I come from a really small town that there are not very many opportunities for work, for advancement, anything. A lot of my friends fell into the trap of being from a small town and still live there and have other legal issues, all sorts. Typical yep. rural people, poor. Yeah, it, extremely <laughs> yeah. poor county. Yeah. Okay. One of the main ways to get out of that was to join the military. And I figured it would uh, do one of two things. It would either give me a push in the right direction or possibly an entire career. And it was an easy choice to make after I weighed all the options. And how long were you there? I was in the Army for five years. So there was some vision and ambition in you that led you to leave your small town and join the military to get skills, to get structured, to get disciplined, to immediately lose those 30 pounds. And you came out of it, I imagine, with some wounds. Yes. I got blown up a few times. The vast majority of my wounds are more on the mental side than the physical, which that was by the grace of whatever you want to believe in. Poseidon. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in my son's case, it'd be Poseidon. And that's one thing that I am very grateful for is even though I have to deal with stuff on a daily basis on the mental side, I, I still have full physical abilities. And that's a blessing to me. And on the mental side, you have something else. So you have the scars, you have the whatever form it takes, you have flashbacks, you have fears, you have jitteriness. You also have the precision that we talked about before, the hyper acute attention for detail that is very appropriate for your job now. And I want you both to think about childhood and young adulthood challenges that have led you to the strengths you have now to pivot into the daily challenges you face at work. Because unless I'm missing something big, your descriptions of what you have to manage at work are well met by your current abilities and your current energy level, which brings us back home. So tell me what happened to this relationship. You at some point got married. How old were you then? I was 20, and that would have made you 24? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And how long did that last? 10 years. Well, we don't think we made it 10 years. That would have been 2019. Nine years then, because 2018. Yeah. So you were blessed with Owen and Kate during that time. Mm-hmm. And then you split up. And how long were you apart? Two years. We're still not married, actually. We're we're still divorced. (laughs) You are living together. Yes. And your commitment is to want to explore how to continue it in a stable, robust way. Is that correct? Yes. 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 So unusual in the children's 
peer group for parents to have gotten divorced, to live together, to be devoted to each other and the children. How do they understand it? I don't really know. They question, well, why aren't you married? But you were married. Great. What do you say? I I usually just say that I'm okay with how things are right now and being married isn't important to us. So just as before, I was talking about stretching out, recognizing subtle emotions. This one is having the courage and the patience to stretch out their puzzlement and your own capacity to respond to it. Joseph, you were about to say something and I want to hear it. Kate even told me yesterday when we were on the way to the store, she's like, I have two friends that have stepmoms and dads. And she named them <laughs> off. And I was like, why is that important? Yeah. And she said, it's not. They all love them. Wow. Okay. What do you think she meant by that? I have no clue. She just comes off of some stuff sometimes and I'm left puzzled as well. I think it's brilliant because what Kate is saying to you is, look, guys, what are you? Are you going to marry somebody else? Then at least I'll get a step parent. Mm -hmm. And that's a concept I am familiar with. I am not familiar with this weirdness in our house Mm -hmm. that is neither in nor out. So you got divorced and now you're together. Where's my stepmom? Where's my stepdad? I know how to carry that title around with me. I mean, I joke around with the kids every now and then, and and because while we were uh, separated, the divorce decree that we had, I joke around with the kids every now and then and say, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm your stepdad. And then once the weekends come, I'm real dad. You know, and they know it's a joke and they understand it and they know where it's coming from. I add a little context. My best friend, the son who is friends with our son, that's actually his stepmom, but she has a biological daughter with her stepson's dad. And they switch off every week. So on Sunday, she was with them and she said, oh, the son has to go back to his real house. And I said, well, both houses are his real house. Yeah. But one is his stepmom and that's his mom. And we've done a lot of work in explaining. She doesn't understand how he and his sister are sisters, but they have different moms and live in different houses. So I think it's just kind of her putting all the pieces together. And look at what you just said. We've done a lot of work explaining all the little pieces, putting it together. It's so much easier to do it for other people's families. Yes. Because you don't have the emotional trigger where both of you have a child inside you who is possibly more puzzled than your children about what the situation is at the moment. How did you make the decision to get back together? Well, just to give a little context, my parents were very supportive of me during the divorce, did a lot of help with the children, but have a tendency to over-involve themselves. So there had been a disagreement, and that's putting it very mildly, between me and them not involving Joseph in any capacity, which led me to break contact with them. So at that point, I had to rely on him. And we made the decision that we are going to be in each other's lives no matter what. We have to make this work whether we are together or we're not. And we might as well start doing the work 
even if we don't get back together, we have to figure out how to communicate, how to be in the same realm with each other forever, <laughs> basically. After her issue with her parents, we pseudo dated for close to six months before we decided to move back in with each other. And in that time, there's some things that we noticed. Like when we noticed we, we got along better as ex-husband and wife better than we did our last couple of years of marriage. We were able to focus on the kids first. And I don't know if it just the outside perspective of marriage. We just started clicking a heck of a lot better during that time frame than we did, I would say, the last year or so of our marriage. Joseph, tell me about your parents in this picture. Well, they're not in the picture. Were they before when you were married? No. My biological mother, I have not spoke to her in over 20 years. Okay. My grandmother who raised me, she passed away my second deployment to Afghanistan in 2011. Ah. My father, he still lives in the area. I could call him if I needed him. He would be here to help me. But majority of the time, no news is good news. We don't really bother each other, and he doesn't really take, I guess, a center stage in the kids' lives either. But they know him. They know that he loves them, and around gift time, gifts appear. So, Gifts appear. Yeah. Lucy, are your parents connected to Owen and Kate now, or has that been cut off as well? That has been cut off as well. So we have not seen or spoken to them for over a year at this point. How often did you speak to them before? Well, you were living with them when you were divorced, yes? No. The kids and I lived in the house, mm -hmm. and then Joseph had an apartment. But we just lived seven minutes from my parents, so very close, every day, even if I didn't want them to be here. They were here every day. <laughs> Whoa. So was it a little bit either or with them that they have dominion? I just keep thinking about Poseidon and the trident yeah. and the sea. <laughs> Because for Owen and Kate to feel that you can relax into adult relationships and they will endure, and then you can pop off into your own life from this foundation, has been shaken up a bit. And neither is a teenager yet, but they will be before too long. What happens with teenagers is they try to push the people they love and trust the most away pretty hard so they can form their own identity and be independent. And what I hear in both of you is great respect for these children, almost bordering on a lovely kind of awe. And what I want to add to the mixture, kind of add to the menu, Lucy fitting in with the work that you do and add to the stitching up, Joseph, to the work that you do is their confidence that the grown-ups in their lives can take care of themselves. Do you see a way, Lucy, to re-engage your parents by setting up very firm but respectful boundaries, because my sense is during the breakup, they felt that they knew what was best for you and kind of best for the world. And now they're taking their puzzlement, their frustration, their judgment, and they're just taking their ball and going home, or you've pushed them home 
because of all the judgment. Correct me in any piece of that that doesn't fit. Yeah, it's definitely me pushing them away. After feeling like so many years, I've tried and tried and tried to do what they want. And I spent a good portion of my life doing that and realized I was very unhappy and then tried to balance my wants and desires with what they felt was right. And it just felt like nothing I ever did was to suit. It was my parenting that was being called into question and just a matter of what they felt was appropriate and what I felt was appropriate. It's either I parent my kids the way I want to parent them or I'm upsetting my parents and I just can't handle both. (laughs) What's the most fundamental difference between your parenting philosophy and theirs? I let my children be who they want to be and I don't force them to be palatable to the community, straight A students. (laughs) Just as an example, Owen, when he was maybe two until he was seven, decided we were a vampire family. You are? Everyone we met, every person he met was told we are vampires. That was not okay for my parents. There's something wrong. (laughs) He, He can't go around saying that. And I didn't care. Doesn't bother me. As long as he's not biting people. (laughs) And sucking their blood. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From the outside looking in, one major thing that Lucy and I both agree in is failure. You learn from failure. Mm. And Lucy can correct me. Her parents are not that way. They don't believe in failure. They believe in you do it right the first time. If you don't do it right, you did something wrong. It's your fault. Where we're, okay, you, you failed that test. So let's review it. Let's find out why you failed it. Let's do better the next time. Let's fix the failure. Where they are, well, it's your fault. You should have done better. There is no correcting it. There is no going back. And we're over here like you learn from those experiences. You fall down, you pick yourself up. Whereas they always question, well, why did you fall down in the first place? Nurture versus nurture. We'll be right back. We're into the school year and approaching the holidays. The kids are running about in the classroom, the playground, and playing fields. The weather is unpredictable. They're overdressed some days, underdressed on others. They get sweaty. And as we race around fulfilling our teetering list of obligations, we do too. When we sweat, we lose sodium. This can lead to headaches, fatigue, muscle cramps, dizziness, and difficulty concentrating. Let me introduce you to Element. It's an electrolyte drink mix used by NBA and NFL players and Olympic athletes, and now by me. Because I love to be outdoors, I love to exercise, and I never drink enough water. I like the watermelon flavor. Also, the box has a cool color palette and design. I gave samples away at my podcast launch party. Element has the right ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium with no sugar, no coloring, and no artificial ingredients. The packets are small and the impact is large. You can use it to hydrate when you've been traveling, as a cocktail mixer, or after you've been drinking. It tastes really good. It helps you keep feeling good. Right now, Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors and share Element with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash nurture. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash nurture. 
try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, they will give you your money back. No questions asked. Drink up. We keep learning more about how ingredients and products we use on our bodies are not safe or healthful. We seek products that do the job and have a pleasing scent and nice-looking packaging. We don't want to settle for a trade-off. When I received my box of Vegamore products, I smiled. The containers are a beautiful shade of soft, rosy buff. Then I used them. The products have all the good features. No parabens, no phthalates, not tested on animals. The Grow Daily Hair Serum glides right on your scalp and then disappears. The mousse looks like whipped cream. The shampoo and conditioner are great on bubble, glide, rinse out, and shine. I've gave extras to my team, and they were grateful. Give yourself peace of mind, clean ingredient hair care, beauty routine simplicity. And Vegamore's value kits provide you with a selection of products to try at great savings. For a limited time, Nurture vs. Nurture listeners get 20% off their first order by going to vegamore.com nurture and using code nurture at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash nurture code nurture to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash nurture code nurture. So tell me, from your parents' viewpoint about what's proper, what's dignified, what will be acceptable to the neighbors, where does Kate fall beyond the pale? Oh, she's definitely the opposite side of the coin, where if her hair is not in place, her clothes do not match. If anything is outside of the realm of acceptable to her, it's not okay. So she has very high standards for yes. herself, and they're very specific. Yeah. What's her attitude toward people in general, the variety of humans she encounters? She would make friends with anyone. I mean, during the pandemic, she was in preschool. She was my little social butterfly who anyone who came to the door to pick up an order, she was in their face just asking questions, talking. She just wants to know everything about everyone, and everyone she meets is a potential friend. I don't like the terms introvert and extrovert, but I'm going to use them right now anyway as a very blunt and clumsy way to look at these two children, that Owen is a person who has such a complicated and fun for him, internal world, huge imagination. And he populates his world with his imagination. So he is deep in relationship with the Greek gods. And Kate is looking in an enchanted way at whoever comes to the door. It is not essential, Lucy, that you reconnect with your parents with boundaries that work. It may not be possible right now. The Frustration and the disappointment and the longing may lead you all back together. But what is important is community. In any small community and large ones, too, there are people that you let your hair down with and you don't feel you have to be a persona. You can be your person. And what I'm hoping for this family right now is people that you feel have both your back and their arms around you. Because 
Joseph, you bring your history in the military of all the gifts you got and the trauma, which is not a welcome gift. And Lucy, you've got your nutty parents. That's what we're going to call them right now <laughs> with, with a lot of their judgment. And these two children who, what I hear from both of you, are developing on very independent paths that tickle you, that you feel pretty confident about. So the two pieces are candor without oversharing. So whenever they ask you questions about your relationship or how you decided something, to first say to them, tell me what you know, or tell me what you think, or tell me what you understand, and just listen. Hmm. And then the next thing is to correct misperceptions. And the next thing is to say, good question, I'm thinking about that, or we are thinking about that, to let them in on how you make decisions, when you decide to change your mind, your own ideas versus others' influence, because this is such a vital skill to give them before the hormones arrive. Because that's when they get a lot wackier and a lot more <laughs> impulsive, and you just worry from moment to moment about their survival. So you have a nice window right here for talking about decision-making. If either of them were to come home from school today and say to you, okay, what's the deal with this relationship? What's your plan? So you got divorced. We're all living together. You kind of look like you're married, but you're not right now. And my friend's parents are either married or they're divorced and there's a step parent. Where are we? What would each of you say? That's a good one. I think I would just have to say. I'm going to stop you. Before you even answer, because what you just did is ideal. Okay. You took a breath. You said, wow, or boy, or I'm not sure what word you used. You said, that's a good one. And you shook your head so sweetly and thoughtfully. And that's how you start. Okay, continue. Yes. Your dad and I are very good friends right now. And... We like the way this relationship is going without the other pressures that sometimes marriage can add. And we're happy with how things are. I wonder, and this is, I think I would ask, is there something that's missing for you? Or I wonder if the heart of it is they're looking for safety and stability. And for us, this is safe and stable, but I don't know if it is for them. Wow. And you can say that to them. Yeah. And rather than the label of good friends, although you can certainly use that to talk about the process and not the product, we are enjoying each other's company. We are working as a team. It didn't go as well when we were married. And this is surprising to us and something new. And we're sticking with this stage as it unfolds. And now what I just said was too many words yeah. and probably not exactly the right words for Owen speak and Kate speak, because you always want to speak in their lexicon. Mm -hmm. But to introduce them 
to the idea of a process. The idea that you can exist in a process where you're just letting the data come in and you're making your observations before you become a peg in a hole. And it's really radical. It's countercultural. And what a gift for them to see that people think and feel before they make decisions that then cause them to feel stuck. If they ask that, I would ask them, like, are you all happy with the current way that things are? And they would most likely say yes. And like, well, your mother and I are happy as we are right now, too. We're, we're able to work together. We're able to make sure you all are taken care of. And right now, this scenario fits. And then what might they come back with, either one of them, when you say exactly that? Oh, I have no clue. They might ask me what color the sky is. <laughs> and I could see them asking or questioning, well, if other parents are married and stuff like that, why don't you all get married again if you guys are so happy? And the rebuttal would be the same. It's we're all happy with the way things are right now. Things are working out really well right now. And right now that just fits everything that we're doing. Fits is such a nice word for it. And your comment about what color the sky is, is a very good principle for talking to children about heavy or important or complicated or difficult topics. It's never one talk, ever. No. It is all the time, while you're shooting hoops, while you are reading characters in the books. They're both readers. The books are about relationships and adventures, all of them. They're stories. And the story of this family is unfolding page after page. So this won't be one conversation. It will be many in all different forms, Lucy, do you cook with the children? You're cooking at school during the day. Do you have any energy or spirit left to cook with them? Yes. Kate and I, we both cook a lot together. She's very interested. Um, they just had a, oh, the places you'll go day for school. And she decided she wanted to be a baker and a chef like me. <laughs> so humans are designed to have feelings and communication while moving. And we've gotten very static in the way our civilization has evolved and the way many of us live our relationship with our devices. Again, there's just not a lot of senses involved and not a lot of movement. With children, the deepest and most heartfelt or most anguished or most fascinating communication goes on frequently while you're doing something else. Kate, she's my right-hand man. Like, no matter what I'm doing, she'll be like, can I go, Dad? Like, yeah, let's go. Like, I try to involve Owen more because he would be happy just sitting at the house most of the time. So I'll always ask him if he wants to go somewhere first. Majority of the time when he declines, there she is. She's ready to go. She's like, I'll get my shoes on right now. And anything as simple as just going to the grocery store for two minutes, she is ecstatic to do that. So this child so loves to be engaged. She's curious. She loves an environment, even the grocery store or the front door when a delivery person is there compared to when a delivery person is not. And the relationship between a dad and a daughter is part of what 
provides her with the blueprint for her relationship with boys and men Mm -hmm. moving forward in her life. So this is a precious resource right now that she's got her dad around to do that with. And it sounds, and I'm not sure you'll tell me, that Lucy, you and Owen share certain interests or things that are very appealing to you. And that's the mother and son piece that is of such value for a boy who may sometimes feel a little different or a little sensitive or a little too vampiric for his peers. And he knows his mom's heart is is in his heart. Thank you both so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure to meet you and to meet your family and to hear about your unusual journey that you continue to walk on. And as you talk to the children about it, you are interested in what they're thinking and what they're wondering, and you don't have to have an answer that will be perfectly satisfying either today or even tomorrow, but you continue to be open to what they're wondering. Thank you. And thank you very much. It was a pleasure, yes. Oh, you are welcome. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. I thought of the Korean word nunshi when Lucy described how she quickly won over a classroom of pandemic-weary teens and when Joseph described solving medical puzzles in the emergency room. The literal meaning of nunshi is I measure. Here's journalist Yuni Hong's definition. Quote, Nunchi is the art of sensing what people are thinking and feeling and responding appropriately. It's speed reading a room with the emphasis on the collective, not on specific individuals, end quote. If you have nunchi, you can evaluate others' moods and motives using nonverbal signs. You'll sense what to say and when to keep quiet. You won't be taken advantage of by slippery operators or overstay your welcome at a dinner party. Who has nunchi? Originally people of lower social classes who needed to read the expectations of elites without asking questions, getting in the way, or making themselves conspicuous. Today, this attribute, acting on a quick and accurate perception of others' feelings and needs, and remembering that it's not all about you, is considered a superpower. Children learn the concept by the time they are three. Parents consider it predictive of children's future relationships and job prospects. Lessons in Nunchi begin with observation, listening more than you speak, and taking the temperature of a room. It's an emotional version of look both ways before you cross the street. The Korean word, umsina, E-O-M-C-H-I-N-A, is a contraction of mom's friend's son. It's used by mothers to motivate a child to study hard and improve a bad habit by making a comparison to the allegedly successful offspring of others. Both Lucy and Joseph are making the admirable choice not to conform. Comparing themselves to their peers or their parents' expectations will trip them up on their journey. They are a great reminder that it's often necessary to throw out the societal rule book and build boundaries 
to protect what you inherently have learned to be right. That's all for today. 